It is high noon on a sunny, rather beautiful day. This uh, January 1st, 2014. Today is the first day of the new year. And I am uh, running on the leftovers of some wonderful peace that the Father has given me over the last couple of days. I had two days really, really difficult uh, three or four days ago. And I just cried out to the Lord and asked Him to refresh me. And man, He sure has. It's been wonderful. God, it just shows you how important it is when you... You don't think you can go any further. You just stand. And if you can't walk, you just stand. You don't quit and you don't turn around. You just stand until God once again strengthens your faith. I can see in the account of Abraham, very interesting. I've discovered that God comes and tells Abraham in advance five times each of the two promises. The promises that he'll inherit a land, the promised land. He tells Abraham on five different accounts in advance. I will give you all this land. And he also tells him five different times on five separate accounts that he is going to bless his descendants through his own flesh. He'll have a son and his descendants will be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And these promises where God comes and tells them are strategically placed, interestingly enough, a couple of times right after he's gone through something very difficult, like leaving his father's land and having to start to go into the new territory and then right after he is kind of weary from battle with having to go and save his nephew Lot, God comes to him again and re-strengthens his faith. And I'm seeing in my own life the exact ways that God worked with his people in the Bible. This just gives so much evidence that God truly is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, his ways are the same ways. So it's very encouraging to me And something really wonderful has happened with the Laura thing again. Something is is on the move. And I'm not saying this to be dramatic. Uh, On that point, I I have been embarrassed several times by listening to my old journal entries and hearing how just, you know, so over the top excited that I have been and, uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's humbling to hear how I have gotten ahead of the Lord in so many ways and have, have been so just, I don't know, very much like a child, which I think to the Lord is good in some ways, but the foolishness can sometimes creep back in. And what I mean by that is, oh Lord, look, you know, look what God's doing and what, and I could quickly get past the spirit and making assumptions about things or you know, like the time I misheard the Lord about my ex-girlfriend and the whole time I seeing 11-11 and was so confused over what that meant because I couldn't figure out why it wasn't a scripture. But I always was just assuming God was pointing me to it to confirm my relationship with my ex-girlfriend, that I should stick it out even though it felt like I was compromising and it didn't seem like it was ever going to work. So to to listen back to all the weakness is very uh, humbling. And yet... God is showing me in my spirit, encouraging me, Michael, these are the kind of people that I work with. Again, to Paul, he says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul begins to then boast about his weaknesses so that Christ is lifted up. And uh, so it is, it's comical in one sense, but back to my point, I really do sense, not because I just want it to happen, but because I really have been just watching what God's doing, I really believe that something must be getting ready to break with Laura, with me uh, and, and Laura. And uh, the reason I say this is because there's just been some very uh, 
dramatic showings of the 212 in the last couple of days. And there's been this huge urgency for me to write the story. I have obviously been living this for some 16 months now. And there's just been a couple of times where I've, you know, felt led to put it on paper. And I've asked and prayed about being able to tell the story. And But there's not been really a, a sense of like, get on the story, work on it. And over the last two weeks, there's been this real consistent uh, desire in me and just ability to do it uh, a lot of times there's not the time or the self-focus to do it and there's been and i've noticed a lot of 212s have shown up around the time i'm doing this just incredible and of course i'll detail all these in the story but the most awesome thing has happened in the last three days i already recorded the one about how we're as i sat down after a long period of not feeling good at 2 30 in the afternoon i sit down to work on the story and at that time, a friend of mine sends me a text. Hadn't gotten a text from him in 10 or 12 days. He sends me a text from Dominican Republic. Walking through a hotel area, he sees a room number 212. He feels compelled to shoot a video of it with him standing in front of it, singing a little corny song. Then he sends it to me. And then that was so encouraging because I was actually working on the story when he sent it. The very next day, I would sit down to start working on the story. And I refired up Pandora. I'd had it on pause. I click play immediately out of curiosity, just look to see how much time is left in the song, and my eyes go right to two minutes and 12 seconds. I'm like, wow, I just smiled. It was like God just confirming, this is good that you're doing this. I want you to work on this. And after all, you think, well, why would God want you to write about some woman? Well, it's not some woman, first of all. It's a very precious daughter of his. And I believe, based upon the word and his words to me, that I'm a precious son, a beloved son. And this story is about God. It's about his interaction in my life. It's about him and his faithfulness. It's about his supernatural abilities to um, providentially put people in the right place at the right time. About his amazing grace to encourage you on a journey of faith, believing him for a promise that he's given you. So this story uh, stands to bring God a tremendous amount of glory. So this is a story that's important to the Father. Any story, not just because it's important to me, but anything that brings God glory and that God has invested this much in. I mean, when you read this story, it's, it's, you, you see that, man, the Spirit of God has been busy. He's been actively involved in directing and watching and waiting and showing up and making things happen. It's extraordinary to see this happen. So, seems to me like he's provided a lot of additional encouragement for me in uh, making sure that I stay focused on this. So I start the story writing, it's 2.12. When I end writing that day, I had been having a goal of trying to get to 30,000 words. And just a little, just a little not written goal or anything, just a little, you know, mental goal of sense of accomplishment of, man, that's a lot of words to write, 50-something pages on a Word document. So I click close on the document when I've written my last word. As I click close, it asks me if I want to save the document. And I say, oh, I forgot to look and see if I made it to 30,000 words. As I look down, the final total on the words is 30,212 words. And I was just like, wow. Here God sandwiched the project on this day between two 212s, the one with Pandora and the one with me ending the words. Then the coolest thing probably in a long time again happened last night, New Year's Eve with my friend Gustavo. I mean... Who could possibly explain something like this outside of God making it happen? I wake up 
and I immediately clicked to see 2.10. A lot of times I, I click my phone to see what time it is out of curiosity at the middle of the night, but I've also found that by doing that, God many times will show me a number, and He'll and it, he, it's like He's communicating to me. You know, like I saw 10.22 one night after going to sleep early and waking up the next day, and that's uh, a message that I feel like the Lord had been trying to communicate to me, and, uh, you know, wake up at um, uh, 3.11 or 3.33 or, you know, anyhow, last night I clicked at it and it was 2.10 and I was very groggy. I got up, I went to the restroom, came back. I actually had noticed before I left that a friend of mine, my friend Gustavo, had sent me a text and it looked like there was like a little a video attached to it and I figured it was something to do with, you know, what he did for midnight, you know, as the clock struck 12.01. Well, I get back, I click my phone, it's now 2.11. And just as I click my phone on, it switches from 2.11 to 2.12. So now it's 2.12 on my phone. I open up the email from him, and it turns out it was him sending a video, rather a text, him sending a text of a video of a countdown clock that goes from 2.14, 2.13 to 2.12. The whole point of the video was to show me the 2.12 that uh, was left on the clock before the countdown. And here I am looking at this. At exactly 2.12, God had woken me up to see this. Absolutely incredible. So that's all been happening. Now I'm going to pause here. This is just a quick update about some observations I'm making about faith. I have a friend of mine named Chris who I've been discipling and mentoring for a while now. And he, he hears these amazing things that are going on in my life, in particular with the 2.12 situation. He's getting to see it himself with his own eyes. And he keeps getting hung up on the numbers by saying, you know, the thing about you is, Mike, is, you know, you like, you got these numbers, you know, and God's like showing you and telling you. And it seems like a lot of people are getting caught up on that and they're getting um, worried and they, they, it discourages them because they don't see God doing that same kind of such visible thing in their life. And I don't have a full biblical explanation for this. I don't I can't point to a scripture or a story right off the top of my head that says here's why this is happening and so forth and so on, but the spirit of God um throughout the word and in my heart gives evidence to a couple of things that I want to make a note about on this and that is that people when these stories come true like what happened with me going into that courtroom without an attorney and seeing God warn me over 150 times with 666 every single time there was another attack from the other side. And then constantly showing me 555s right behind the 666s to say, don't worry, I got this. I will deliver you. My grace is with you. Then when I would get really discouraged and the time was stretching on, God kept showing me a 777, which I really felt he was telling me was that that meant that the season was almost done. It was almost complete to hang in there. And as it turns out, God ends the whole thing on the 777th day and then shows me the whole story on page 777 in my Bible after the fact, which was just, it was absolutely astonishing. So when people see that, I think they get caught up in, well, God doesn't do that for me. And I think the thing that people don't understand is the cost that I've had to pay to have this kind of relationship with the Lord. I think a lot of people say, man, I wish God would direct me with numbers and stuff like that. But they, uh, they're they not willing to pay the kind of price that I've had to pay in order to have this experience. There has been, when particularly when the 212 thing works, not works, That's that was the wrong word. I got distracted by looking at something. But when it comes to fruition, when God's promise happens and everybody wants to hear the story or you know they've read the book and they can't believe it and they have questions, I, I can't wait for this day to happen because I know it's going to happen. But people are going to want it. They're going to be like, whoa, but then they're going to be discouraged. 
as Chris said last night, he goes, Mike, people are going to be discouraged because they're, that's not happening for them. What I want people to always remember is God chooses the weak to confound the wise. So if you approach God and you're too big shot for him and you don't have childlike faith, you're not going to see this kind of a move of God, number one. Number two, it's very well known and documented and spoken of by a lot of the dead saints, great men and women of God who've died beforehand already, that you typically have exactly as much of God as you want of Him. So the more of Him you seek, the more of Him you get. And it's not a getting down on your hands and knees one time, saying, Oh God, I really want you. God, I really need you. And doing you know, some one-time deed of obedience to get God to say, Okay, well, let's go help this guy out and get really involved in this person's life. Uh-uh. What I'm seeing is weeks, months, and years now of seeking on a daily basis. I mean, I noticed this morning on my Bible that the dust is building up around the inside covers of my Bible. I turn the pages, and I've been using my Bible so much that the dust is the gold painting on the side of the, the Bible pages. When you put the Bible together and look at it from the side, you can see it's kind of goldish. All that's been flaking off and coming off from so much use of my Bible. I mean, I'm in that thing average, probably realistically, three hours a day. That's not including the time that I, st- I spend... You know, I'd say, realistically, I'd say it's probably two hours a day in the Bible. If that That's a very realistic, because there's times I'm in there for four or five hours. Then there maybe is times where I read more other books, and I'm only in the Bible for, say, an hour or so. And bottom line, average two hours a day for years. And then for the last, you know, I guess 18 months, two years, I'd have to look back. I've been doing these prayer walks with the Lord where I'm in prayer throughout the day, sentence prayers here and there and talking to the Father, but there's these intense periods of prayer for anywhere between 30 minutes to two hours, probably realistically averaged four times a week. So we're talking about being in prayer for anywhere between, not including all the sentence praying I do throughout the day, but longer intervals of prayer. We're, We're averaging, you know, let's say it's an hour a day, five days a week. You're talking about five hours of prayer a week of deep, intense prayer. And and I'm sure there's been weeks where it's more than that. This is just an average. So, you know, I don't want people to ever be discouraged and say, well, I tried. Well, but, you know, if if somebody's going to compare the intensity of my walk with the Lord, no different than if I'm going to impair the intensity, compare the intensity of my walk with somebody else's walk that's ahead of me, which there's plenty of people, I have to also compare my, my level of intensity of seeking Him my level of intensity of, you know, prayer, and my level of intensity in trusting Him and obeying Him. Is it the same? So I just don't want people to think that they can just have an instant, like, you know, like a genie, rub the lamp three times and God shows up and starts doing all these awesome things. No, there had to be a tremendous amount of pain. I signed up for all this by surrendering when I had my white funeral day in October of 2009. And then God began to direct my steps delicately at first, and He asked me to do something very difficult, not too far into the valley of the shadow of death. Fire your attorney, trust me to defend you, and I'll do this in a highly unique, unusual way that will bring me much glory. And it will not be because you have a better attorney. That was the first major, major obedience that God asked me to do that I followed. The first thing I did was to surrender everything. That was my choice. God prompted me, allowed my situation to be frustrated. I got tired of the battle, tired of the tension. I wanted peace. I surrendered fully. But then God 
asked me to do something difficult. And so I just don't ever want anybody to, to think that, you know, this just happens quick. There has been a huge price to pay. And the final thing I want to say is pay whatever the cost. Pay whatever the cost. Pay whatever you got to do. Put your family, your life, your career, everything on the line if God asks you to. First of all, give him the opportunity to surrender it all. You know, surrender it all before him and just trust him for the results. And even if he takes it all away from you, the only reason why is because he has something better. No matter what you think, that's just the way God works. That's the way he is. That's his heart. And he has given me something that no amount of money, you couldn't write me a check. If somebody literally showed up right now and said, Mike, I'm going to give you a billion dollars right now. This would not even be something I'd have to think about. People say, oh, you're crazy. No, it's no different than if a man walked up and put a gun to my head right now and said, if you say you love Jesus, you're going straight to meet him. And I'd say, what's taking you so long? In a heartbeat. I may have a quiver of, oh boy, here it is. But I wouldn't back down for a second. And I wouldn't trade a a check for a billion dollars if a person said to me, but God's not going to speak to you and direct your path anymore. Nope, not interested. Give me the adversity. Give me the valley of the shadow of death. But give me my God walking with me and I can go anywhere and do anything. That's how valuable his presence is. It's more valuable than any level of comfort. It's more valuable than anything you could possibly have, any money, anything on earth. It's, It's that unbelievably powerful. It's amazing. I'm going to continue to seek, continue to trust, continue to obey. And I just, I can't wait to tell the story. I can't wait for conversations, people sitting around and they're just going to be blown away. They're going to be like, what? I'm like, yeah, I mean, this is just what God does with me. It's embarrassing how low I've had to go, the humility and the lack of dignity and your family turning against you and nobody understanding but the having God with you, you, I mean, there's nothing better. It's a trade. Do you want comfort from the world? And do you want guidance from the world? And do you want peace from the world? Or do you want peace from Jesus Christ, the peace that he gave? Because you can't have it until you surrender to him. And then he'll put you through the ringer and show you that you can still have a decent life. You can still have joy and peace in spite of the fact that your world falls apart because he's with you. And he'll never leave you or forsake you. There's going to be moments of oh, gut-wrenching pain. Oh my goodness. But man, I tell you what. Honest to goodness, I wouldn't want to have to go back through everything I have. But I would. If God said to me, Michael, let's do this one more time. I got some more things for you. I'd be like, alright Lord, let's do it. I mean, I wouldn't be excited about going through the pain, but because I've tasted his goodness, because I have felt his presence, and because I have this extraordinary relationship with my God that I don't need to prove to anybody, that I don't need to try to explain to anybody, that it, that nobody can take away from me. I mean, it is incredible. It's incredible. It's the, the greatest experience of all life. Nobody can take it from you. Nobody can give it to you. You got God, and if he's all you got, if all the people on the whole face of the earth disappeared today, I'm great, because I got my God, my Lord. Oh, man. Unbelievable. I just want to add one more thing to that recording, and that is the the lesson that I saw this morning in when Jacob wrestles with God all night. It just came upon me so strong that Jacob persevered, and the man wanted him to let go. And he said, no. He told God, no. Jacob said, no, I will not let go of you until you bless me. And I think to myself, that sounds exactly like how Norma described my faith in God. She said, Michael, I've never seen anybody just 
let go of the tow rope. It's like you, she's like, you never let go of the tow rope is what she said. She said, it's like God's got a tow rope and you, you just never let go of it. And, uh, and I just, I see that principle and the, the subtext says that God rewarded Jacob's perseverance and uh, he didn't give up. He didn't quit. He held on. And when you have a promise from God to be blessed, you hold on to it. And I feel like that is exactly why I'm fighting, why I'm fighting. And, and even though everything's being taken from me and the cost has been unbelievable, everything, I have less than nothing. I literally have less than nothing. I'm, I'm in prison. A homeless person has more freedom, really, in many instances than I do right now. Then maybe they're not eating as good a quality of food, not living in as clean a place, but they're free of the persecution of the family members that are thinking they're an idiot. They don't have to hear about it. They, don't, they can walk and go and do whatever they want. I really can't to a certain extent. Maybe that's a bad analogy, but my point is that the cost has been extraordinary. The longer I hold on to God, the less of me there is. That's so interesting. The, 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 the more you hold on to Him, it's like He's dragging you through this gravel road. <laughs> Belts and weapons and canteens and backpacks and boots and, you know, everything you had is coming off of you because God's dragging you and you just won't let go. And when you don't let go, He finally says, okay, you've proven you're really interested in going on this journey. You've proven you're willing to give up everything to come with me. I've been dragging you for a while. All right, stand up. Let me clean you up. You can come. You've earned it. And I, I just really sense that that is kind of what happens with, with those who really take God seriously. He puts you through the ringer. And it's, it's called carrying the cross. And he, he, he sees if you'll carry it faithfully, die to yourself, and there's a huge reward. There's a huge reward. But man, the cost is tremendous. Nobody ever told me the kind of cost it was going to have to pay. And I'm struck by the fact that Jacob... The angel of the Lord touched Jacob's hip, made him to where he had to walk with a limp the rest of his life. Very interesting. I'm sure I have plenty of things to limp about. So I'm finishing up my prayer walk. Incidentally, it's 1.11 as I hit my phone. And I'm really, really been praying and, and wrestling with the Lord in the last 15 minutes about my whole church situation. Obviously, my whole uh, life, circumstantially, is in disarray as God continues to drag me. Or rather, I continue to be drugged as I hold on to the Lord, losing what's little bit left of me. But setting that aside, as I'm going through still the end of the valley of the shadow of death, waiting in patient obedience for the Father to deliver me, um, I've had so many opportunities to save myself and to affect different circumstances basically making my own light, Isaiah 50.10, and I'd be lying down in torment right now, according to the scripture, if I did that. So I've chosen to, to uh, obey, which has brought a tremendous amount of suffering. And there is uh, this other area in my life right now, which I am really feeling some serious holy discontentment about, and that is in the area of church. I am really starting to uh, get very disappointed in my church, and I'm thinking about leaving my church. When I first went to the church over two years ago, I went a couple of times, but I always would tolerate the pastor. I literally felt like this guy must have been one of these, you know, uh, name it, claim it, word of faith type teachers. And I was really kind of disappointed that he had to always tell a joke, and it seemed like it was all about a little bit of him and a little showmanship too much, and I was really concerned about that. What ended up happening is... I went to the membership class 
And it was a real turnoff what I saw in the video about, you know, if you're a member, you got to tithe here and so forth and so on. And it started feeling restrictive. And I don't see membership um, as being even something that's biblical. I don't see that. You're supposed to belong to the church, but not because you sign a piece of paper and, you know, say, quote, you're a member. You're a member of the body of Christ through your faith in Christ, not by signing a piece of paper with your local body. But I um, immediately left and went back to Summit. But I went to Summit Connect and... The teaching is much better. Paul is not about himself. It's not about ego-driven. Uh, the only disappointing thing I felt there is that I felt like the worship was so uh, much more subdued. And I was looking for more of that kind of powerful, energetic ability to raise your hands and really worship the Lord freely. And I felt like it was more dead there in that way. Um, and that was really kind of just disappointing to me. I was also disappointed one time when I saw Paul have to apologize two or three times in a sermon for how difficult some of the teaching in the book of Romans is. And it wasn't that I was mad at him. I was disappointed that it, we have to apologize to people that God's word is not always easy to swallow and that we have to somehow or another, you know, try to make it palatable. But other than that, I loved the church. I loved his mom and all that. But I decided to keep going to the rock um, I had been in, was going there for a while because of my ex-girlfriend, and, and it made sense for me to go there with her so her, her kid could go. And But then I decided to go uh, back to Summit for a while, and then I ended up, you know, just saying, well, you know, I really like the worship at The Rock, and, you know, I've gotten to grow in the past for a little bit. So anyhow, long story short, I've been at The Rock now for, I guess, over a year, right out a year, uh, pretty steady, and more than a year maybe. And what I'm now discovering is, first of all, there was uh, a part of this church that had kind of opened my eyes to some, some, uh, maybe some missing elements of the Holy Spirit in other churches. But what I'm starting to now realize is that this is a church that is potentially gone overboard. I think that my church, I think my pastor, is, has come out of this word of faith movement that is absolutely of Satan. I mean big time of Satan, out of the whole Lakeland, Florida thing. And what I'm seeing is that the leftovers are still in this church, even though he has changed some of the things he believes and clearly doesn't teach some of the same things they do. There is always uh, a third base sermon at never hitting it home run. Very rarely does he bring the message all the way home. It's like he brings it right up to the point where it's discomfort. You're starting to feel the discomfort. And I'm going, yes, 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 say it, say it. And then he lets the pressure go. And I've seen this happen over and over to the point where I'm like, this is not right. This guy is bending the word in his sermon to make the people comfortable. Instead of allowing the people to bend to the message of Christ, he's bending his messages to accommodate and comfort the audience. And it sounds like it would make sense. Well, you know, we got a variety of people in here. we got people new all the time. No, this is not ever, not a single time, how Jesus Christ ever preached. He preached the hardest thing, the, the bigger the crowds got. And so I'm really, really starting to struggle with this idea that my church is opening doors to satanic influence, to the influence of deceiving spirits and here's why i started to notice that everybody in that whole church with the exception of one person that i can think of is doing something that i would consider weird unscriptural uh sinful or they're deceived almost every single person i never really paid attention to this and all of a sudden and here's just a kind of a list of things that i can currently think of and it is that you know there's a deacon 
and his wife that go to church there, who I became friends with their daughter. She introduces me to the whole Bill uh, Bethel Church, uh, Bill Johnson, Chris Valentin movement, and says, look at all this. And of course, me, my personality, I got so excited and I became hungry. And I'm like, yes, God, I want more of this spirit. I want to see more of this kind of stuff. And then I would, be, then I would discover uh, eventually that she has this rotten fruit in her life and that She's angry at God, and when I began to try to, as a friend, confront her and help her, she completely snapped and turned on me, and now lies and tells other people, like, everything's cool, even my own mom, and basically sends me these really snotty, um, just almost childlike email, totally cutting off, and I approach her parents delicately about some things I discovered that a church that she had gone to in North Carolina is apparently infested with demonic activity that is counterfeiting the Holy Spirit or attempting to, and they were in complete denial about it. Complete denial that that could happen. I'm seeing that the deception is is unbelievable. And so I just wrote that off. I'm like, okay, but I'm like, wait a second. These are deacons in our church who are blinded to the fact that their daughter has gone to a church where people are acting like animals and howling and screaming and doing this tribal stuff and dancing like idiots and acting full on like they're possessed by demons, not by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would never look and act like the fools that these people are acting and looking like in this church. It was ridiculous. And as I studied, I discovered that there's a whole string of people whose lives have been ruined by going to this church. And I'm going, now we got deacons here that are in our church that, you know, aren't even aware, first of all, that the father has made the daughter feel unloved. There's some serious father issues there. And total denial on their part that their daughter could possibly have any issues. So that was the first red flag. Then there was meeting David's roommate, who's been going to this church for two and a half years, three times a week, Monday or Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday nights. And she's messing around with demonic stuff, having seances, and they are encountering demonic activity. And I say to myself, that's being brought into the church. How in the world can that person come to the church and hear what and be going to this church this long and and think it's okay to have a séance? Something is wrong with that. That was another strike. Then I remember I met the one guy, uh, Kelly, and he's just going through this horrible, horrible divorce situation, and he's just distraught and he doesn't know what to do. And I go to pray for him. He's just barely hanging him by a thread. And as I'm praying for him, he starts speaking in tongues. And I just started, I wanted to go, what in the world is this gift doing for you right now? You, th apparently this is a gift from God, but you don't seem to believe or trust in the God who gave you this gift. It was just, it was something so bizarre for me to see this person be in such a lack of faith to trust God um, and just really being hammered down. I understand that, but there was there didn't seem to be hardly any trust of God, and yet he had this ability to speak in the tongues that apparently came from God. I was, I was like, wait a second, something's wrong there. Then there has been um, all of these people that I know of, like the deacon's wife that I was talking about, who has the daughter who turned and, and really just wanted to slander me, I heard, overheard that she walked into a conversation where a, a lady had mentioned about Laura. Goes to show you, I should have never told anybody about this. And she is uh, saying, "Well, he ain't going to do that. That's totally not of God. Totally just nasty about me believing and waiting for my Laura." That same girl's mom is a huge fan and follower of Andrew Womack, which I believe is completely a false teacher. And of a, of a kind that is certain to be satanic deception. 
who teaches that there's no way you can miss out on going to heaven because even if your flesh nature sins, your spirit is what has been remade and renewed and is what's going to go to heaven. That it's okay that if your sin nature sins. The most ridiculous teaching I've ever heard, and they're convinced of it. This is all totally of the devil. This is a deacon's wife in our church. Then, all the people that I've met through them, a lot of those people that I've met through them, all believe in chasing these other weird teachers like Andrew Womack or the Kenneth Copeland or the this guy, um, I don't know, anyhow, just these weird teachers that I don't agree. And I've tried to study, I've tried to keep an open mind and not be so cynical and learn. And what I am discovering is that these guys are all false teachers. And I'm going, okay, so great. I'm going to church with a bunch of people who chase conferences. They go from one conference to another, like all these women that my mom's in a Bible study with, all they do is go to these conferences. They're like conference chasers and they're focused totally either on healing or totally on prophecy or totally on prosperity. Another lady is totally into um, Jesse Duplantis and all of his stuff, and she's given me his books to read, and I'm going, this is ridiculous. This is so far perverted from the Word of God, it's not even funny. This one guy teaches that Jesus Christ was rich, and that the reason why the Roman soldiers were gambling over his robe is because they had, they had, there was gold sewn into it. The threads were golden sewn into Jesus' robe. This is a teaching from Jesse Duplantis. This is like straight out of the pits of hell. And I'm, again surrounded by people who are believing this kind of teaching. And I'm going, something's not right. Then I meet this lady who goes to the church who sexually attacks me in no short way of saying it, completely after I say no, 30 some odd times throws herself after I say, how can you possibly call yourself a Christian and do this? What about, and just totally ignores me and continues to just come on to me like this. And to the point where I have to completely sever any relationship with this lady, can't have any contact with her, shut her down, and she still goes to the church, she still hears the same messages every week, and she continues to live in this deception that thinks that it's okay to have premarital sex and to act like that. And I think to myself, what is wrong with this church that people are sitting in this church and thinking this stuff is okay to believe and think and act like this? Then now I'm seeing that you know, my pastor has said several things to me that didn't come true. You know, I'm going to put time for you on my schedule. We're going to meet regularly. It didn't come true. Well, I'm going to have you over after the conference, the ladies' conference over to have you meet with the wife. Never happened. Then I end up getting invited to join his men's Bible study. So I go to his men's group. I'm excited. I get into the Bible study and the, I meet the first three guys I meet. Two of them I get to know and uh, or just investigate a little bit that these are apparently guys the pastor has known for years and he's calling these people because they need to be discipled so they can disciple other people. So I'm thinking they're all people like me that are on fire for the Lord, walking with the Lord, hearing from the Lord. I get there, I end up meeting with one of the guys and before the meeting is over, he tells me that he has built an altar of unforgiveness in his heart against his wife and he's not sure he wants to take it down and I'm going to myself, holy moly, the deception. This guy is sitting here, knows the Bible just as good as I do, is a friend of the pastor who is saying in his own words that he's built an altar in his heart of unforgiveness. He's, he's that smart and able to articulate the ways and the words of the Bible. He can say it in such a way and then say, I'm not ready to take it down yet. And I just said, man, bro, you're, the, the, Satan's got you wrapped up in this, man. You gotta, you gotta do the right thing. You can't, and anyhow, I just, I was, I walked away from that meeting just brokenhearted for this guy and just, just dumbfounded. 
Then another guy who is one of our pastor's brother-in-laws, not the pastor, main pastor, but another pastor in the church, his brother-in-law, I go to his website one day and see that his great passion in life is fantasy football and that his big goals in life are to go sit on a beach with his wife somewhere and live on the beach and drink wine and enjoy these great foods. And there was not a single mention of God and his great passion is fantasy football. And I'm going, and this is a guy who's being mentored by my pastor? Something is wrong with this. So I run into a guy that's in the choir in the pizza restaurant one night, a big tall guy, he's apparently been going to the church for years, and I'm sitting there and I see them, they're drinking beers, and they sit there for hours drinking beers, not that there's anything wrong with drinking a beer, but for hours they were drinking beers, it looked like to me, and they just, the guy just didn't seem to be very godly, he didn't seem to be a guy who was really fired up, yet he gets in that choir and sings up a chorus line, I mean, I I don't know, because I don't know enough about him, I couldn't, I I don't want to rip him apart, because I don't know him well enough, but it just seemed like, I was like, wow, I've noticed this guy every time I see him in the choir, and I'm like, man, he just didn't seem like he was very godly of a man. And there's just been other things. I mean, so you might say, well, Mike, in every church, they're going to have people that are hypocrites or not taking the Lord seriously. But no, this is worse than that. These are people who are chasing false teachers and chasing things in the spirit and beyond the spirit. And, you know, one of the ladies goes to, um, why can I not Perry Stone? One of the ladies goes to him and she's being mentored by him and she's a false prophet. Not only that, but she's a gossip. She befriended me And I thought this woman totally loved the Lord and was like so excited to meet her. She's 10 years older than I am. She was like an aunt to me as, you know, or or just an older sister. And I started noticing every time we'd get together, she would just start telling me about other people to the point where she just recently told me about some sex problem that a lady in the, in the, in the, the Bible studies husbands have. And I'm going, wait a second. This is crossing the line. I'm not part of the problem. I'm not part of the solution. She's sitting here telling me this. This same woman has been a false prophet to me. God has warned me multiple times that for me not to listen to the words she's speaking. First of all, she agrees with me that, oh, I know that Laura's going to be your wife. She's already, God's already told me she's going to be your wife. Then a couple months later, well, no, the Lord's telling me something bad about Laura that, you know, Laura's maybe going to, she's going to have to choose if she wants to have a good relationship with God. And she may not be it after all, Michael. Then she tells me on a night with the phone where my son gets disconnected that she sees in her spirit an old lady arguing with Tyler over the phone. Well, that wasn't true. It was just his, him going to his mom asking for a cell phone. And she said, no, there was no old lady. Then she comes and sits me down and tells me that God, she comes to my house and picks me up and takes me and sits me down and tells me the same day she gossips to me about this lady's sex life. She tells me that God said to her that I'm going to jail like Paul, that I'm going to end up going to jail over this child support thing. And I'm going, okay. This is really, really whacked. And I also find out that all these people, the Bill Johnsons and these people that I was starting to follow and learn about, I start hearing these messages they're teaching and discover they are completely false teachers. And I began to read this book. I started going online and looking about all these Word of Faith teachers and all this stuff and find some amazing videos online where people are teaching about this, that this is total, full-on demonic deception. People are being deceived. Nobody that hears this is going to think, wow, wow. No, because they're deceived. And there's a scripture where it says that God gives them over to a great delusion because they ignored the truth. And he gives them over to a delusion and they end up being destroyed. That's what's happening, with I think, with all these hyper grace preachers and word of faith stuff it's just ridiculous so i'm going why do i want to continue to go to this church when people are are even though this church is more mild than some of the other ones people are still believing this stuff the church is just 
freaking me out, man. I'm, 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 and so I'm now I'm asking the Lord, Lord, what would you have me do? Where do you want me to go? This is going to create even more persecution when I leave the church. People are going to now really say I'm a freak, which is okay. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about it at all. I'm worried about people being left behind. And I'm thinking, do I write a letter and explain it to everybody? There's going to be rumors that start, or should I... You know, just say, hey, I've just decided to go to a new church and just say, well, it's my business. I've just decided to go to a new church and leave it at that. Or should I put together a document that explains about false teaching and and the perversion of the Holy Spirit? And I mean, I'm, I've just, I'm seeing too many messages that are watered down in the church. I'm deeply convicted about this. I mean, I, I, I recorded a message to my pastor a couple of weeks ago about, man, you, you the, your message left the entire audience confused. They, there was a spirit of confusion that set in because he taught again on, so heavily on grace after he had just spent two weeks talking about sin. Then he came in with this big grace message, which made people thinking that they could continue to sin. And I saw it happen. Another person I was with saw it happen. And so, you know, but as soon as I went to send it to him, the Lord showed me a 525. No. And he's been trying to reach out to me a little bit and there's there's been some separation god took my driver's license away for a reason and now i haven't been able to go to the the bible study groups and this has allowed enough time to pass for me to really begin to study and step back from all the things that are going on in the church and look at the whole of everything that people are saying and doing the way they're living their life the the teachers they're following the things they believe you know, there's a, there's there's one guy in that whole church that I know that absolutely loves the Lord and is not a weird dude. He's not into weird stuff. His name is Tom. I don't even want to say his last name, but he's and he is. I just adore this man, and he's a humble guy. He's not into weird stuff. He just loves the Lord, and you know, he he admitted that he thinks maybe his his football thing has become idolatrous, and he's been convicted about that. Other than that, the guy, as far as I know, he's living the life, and he's the only person I can think of in that church that I know. I know there's other people that's not some person that's off weird in something, or that's not deceived in some way following one of these deceived teachers. So I'm just so brokenhearted about this and so disappointed and trying to figure out, you know, what the Lord would have me do. And now that my eyes have been opened... Also, I want to make a note of this book that I'm dying to read. It's called Strange Fire by John MacArthur. And he's talking about all the creepiness and the deception and the charismatic movement and all the perversion of the Holy Spirit and how Satan is coming in and doing things and it's being attributed to the Holy Spirit. And I just feel such a desire to read that book. I haven't been able to get it. I've read a couple pages of it, like up to chapter two. I think I read the first chapter and I'm just like, wow. So now I'm like, should I just start my own little group of people? Or is there a church around here that I can go to that's not weird, that's still, you know, there's people that love the Lord? It's so frustrating. It's like, in order to find people that look like you love the, the, love the Lord, they, you have to go hang out with like what looks like people that are doing freaky stuff. And I don't want that. I'm not a freaky. I'm not into the freaky stuff. I don't want to be. I'm into having what I have right now with the Lord. And finding, is there a church that has people like this that don't have to be all weird that l truly love and obey the Lord, not interest, all this amen and stuff when you hear something that's good. I'm so sick of that. I'm so sick of hearing them preach it, brother. Amen. You know, yeah, all right. Woohoo. Over all the stuff that people want to hear. I want to hear, you got to stop sinning. Amen to that. You got to start trusting and obeying God. Amen to that. You got to be willing to suffer. Amen to that. You got to be willing to carry your cross. That's the kind of messages that need to be preached and they need to be 
preached in a way that makes it clear you can't continue to live like this and expect to go to heaven. These messages are being preached in this church, and, and, but the, the clarity of what the Word of God says is never brought home. It's never made to the point that you can't live like this and go to heaven. If you're messing around with porn, or you're in the middle of having seance, or you're going and chasing prosperity, and you're doing all these crazy stuff, you cannot expect to go to heaven when your heart stops or Jesus comes back. That message is not being taught. And so people are staying right where they're at. And here's what I feel like. I feel like amongst many churches, going to church is people's way of sugarcoating the sin they're in. It seems like people are going to church to make themselves feel better about to, and for, to justify the sin they're in, to let them stay in the sin they're in. It's like, I'm going to just put the sugar on it. And, uh, you know, I, I, there's a guy in our, uh, another guy that came to our Bible study one time and he came only for a short time and he's reached it. Mike, I'm in bondage. I see him at church. Dude, what are you doing? Are you coming to the Bible study? No, he's stuck in bondage. He's going to a church. He's obviously stuck in some kind of a sin and he's not getting out of it. I'm just sick of it, man. I'm just sick. I'm sick and tired of it. When a person is converted, their life is supposed to change. The old has gone and the new has come. When I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ in October of 2009, my life began to dramatically change. What I desired, what I thought about, who I obeyed, who I listened to, the things I did. I wasn't perfect overnight, but from that day forward, I have lost my ability to remain in sin. Even when I ended up falling and having premarital sex with my ex-girlfriend a couple of times, I wasn't able to continue to do it. The Spirit of Christ would not allow me to continue to do it. It would rip me in half to the point where I had to stop it. That's true conversion. A non-converted Christian can continue to live like that and can continue to do that. I was not able to do that. When you're converted, you're converted. It doesn't mean you're not going to sin every once in a while or stumble, but you cannot live a lifestyle of sin. That is what the Bible says, and that has been my experience. Anyone who continues to sin is a liar. The Bible says that anyone who continues to walk in sin, who deliberately walks in sin, Peter says, there's no hope. There's no more sacrifice for that person. You know, anyone who sins and doesn't keep God's commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. If they continue to do it, meaning live in a lifestyle sin. So, this is my message, and I'm, I, I feel like I have got to leave this church. It's going to hurt my, my heart, you know, to leave some of those people behind. And, you know, there's a part of me that still likes, you know, cares about my pastor, but I don't like him that much. I don't like him enough to compromise the truth. And, and if he wants to do it, it's his ship. He gets to sail it how he wants. But the Spirit of Christ in me says that he's not, he's not doing his people any service by teaching them half-truths. He's, 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 there's going to be people that are going to go to hell under his watch if he does not start saying, people, you cannot live like this. Stop chasing the grace. Stop chasing the prosperity teacher. Stop chasing the craziness in the spirit and start obeying and trusting God. Stop thinking you can live in sin and come to church. You can't. Man, I tell you what. God help us all. Lord, have mercy. It's a rainy December 2nd. 2014 it's 10 o'clock in the morning I just wanted to capture a quick message as a reminder of God's amazing divine providence here I have had uh, really no understanding as to why God has allowed me to go this long without a driver's license without any ability to have a, even a dollar to help myself and to go anywhere and in particular why God would have wanted me to miss out on having time with the kids I've not been able to see any good in it I've only been trusting that God would reveal uh, in His appropriate time 
that there would be good that would come out of this. And yesterday I did a big long message about why I'm leaving my church. Uh, for months I've been thinking about this and being concerned and what it comes down to is, and it's embarrassing to actually uh, feel this way, is that God has been opening my eyes so much to the fundamental truths of His Word and foundational uh, doctrinal principles that I have missed because I have never sat under good quality theological teaching. In fact, I've always resisted the idea of being too, too deep of a student of theology because it, it seems to maybe displace the personal relationship with God. And now my experience is changing such that I'm, I've had these amazing experiences with God, the indwelling of His Spirit, the peace and the joy and the direction and the providence and just an absolute love and having given up everything for Him. I possess that. And now what I'm discovering is the importance of understanding why I believe what I believe and the theology behind some of the things I believe and my eyes are being open to the need to understand this. And I really believe it's going to actually um, increase my relationship with God to learn of some of the theology and have a better understanding of the doctrine behind some of the things that I have believed and experienced in my walk with Christ. I've had a pretty surface level understanding, and as I have done hours and hours and hours of meditation, God continues to show me things in His Word that are just, they're astonishing. But the quick message I want to put here today is that after I had done that long message yesterday about why I'm leaving my church, I had been begging, and I mentioned in there, I've been begging for the opportunity to read a book called Strange Fire by John MacArthur. And I just so happened to feel prompted last night to look online to see if there was any videos about it. And as it turns out, there was an entire conference done about this exact subject. And I've watched nearly eight or nine hours of this conference, about 13 hours worth. It's just been extraordinary. I've been happy. I've cried. Um, My eyes are being opened. It's it's literally shaking some of the foundational things I have thought. And it's also confirming many of the checks in my spirit that I've had about the charismatic movement, the word of faith teachers, um, people who are chasing everything but, uh, you know, a sinless, pure, repentant, uh, godly, holy, set apart, sanctified walk in nature with God. It's all people chasing healing and chasing prosperity and chasing, you know, the moves of the spirit and the tongues and the words of prophecy and all these things. They're not chasing a true repentance, a holiness, a devout, loving, deep abiding relationship with God. And they've largely searched outside of the word of God to see these things and this experiential faith happen. And I am just so thankful. And I, I now realize, here's the bottom line to it. I now realize that had I had my license and gone and got my children I would not be leaving my church. I would not have had my eyes opened to the information that somehow or another my spirit, because of the Holy Spirit, has said, this is a wrong direction. You need to leave and get out of here. And now I have the theological backing and the doctrinal understanding and the teachers who've gone way before me on this, who've shown the proof, this is why this is true and this is why this is not true. Now I'm having a a, a better understanding and I think to myself, wow, this would have never happened if I'd had my license. I'm sure there are other things that will come of this, but as of right now, that's a good enough reason for me. To God be the glory.